Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network, the Authors on Fire podcast. I am Pat Rulo. Today I have a Firebird Book Award winning author whom I just love, Dr. Patricia Levy, and the winning book is titled Location Shoot. Patricia has won previous Firebird Book Awards for her books, Hollyland, Film Blue, Reinvention, Low Fat Love, and Celestial Bodies. It's been so fun for me to have all of these opportunities to spend time with her. So I just want to dig in today. Welcome back, my friend, Patricia. Thank you so much for having me. It is always a treat to talk with you. Oh, I love it. Did I miss a book? I don't think so. No, I, think I mean, I'm, I'm amazed I've ever received any awards. So it's <laughs> very, very humbling and lovely. Oh, you're so funny. Well, congratulations on winning the recent uh, one for Location Shoot. Thank you so much. I mean, honestly, Pat, you know, I mean, you know, I've published over 40 books and obviously they're like your babies in a way. So I love them all. But, you know, you have different relationships with each book. And I can honestly say that of all the novels I've published to date, the location shoot is absolutely my favorite. I felt it when I wrote it. I said it to my husband when I first wrote it. And so when, when I saw that it won four Firebird Awards, I was just completely blown away and it really meant a lot to me. Oh, well, thank you. And I'm going to get back to that where you say it was your favorite. We'll get back to that in a minute. If you noticed, I did not read a bio today because I want to do something just a little bit different. Instead of me reading your history, which is extensive and impressive, I just wanted to ask you today, who are you? Well, you know, (laughs) honestly, most simply, I just always tell people I'm a writer. Um, I've had all these lovely, lovely bios written about me that talk about different parts of my career, but at the end of the day, really, I'm just a writer. Um, I've loved writing since I was a little girl. I always wanted to, in my words, when I was five years old, make books. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that never went away. And I did go to college and graduate school, and I studied sociology, and I became a sociology professor, and I began my career as an author in nonfiction. And, you know, wrote many nonfiction books and book chapters and essays and articles and all those kinds of things. And eventually I sort of made my way to fiction, which I think was my earliest love and my first love. I've been writing novels ever since. And so today I've published over 40 books, both fiction and nonfiction. And I really spend most of my days these days as a novelist sitting sitting in my home office in my sweatpants, uh, you know, crying at my computer screen or laughing out loud or at the things the characters say and do. So um, really, if I was just going to answer your question with, uh, you know, one sentence, I'd say I'm a writer. I love that. I love that. And you're wearing your sweatpants. Was it that you don't wash them? Is that it? That's the key to success? Well, during the pandemic, I have to admit, they (laughs) didn't get washed quite as much as one would hope. But I'm back to a more, you know, balanced, normal kind of life. So I I am in sweatpants as we speak, but they are, in fact, clean pads. Well, good. Good. I was so worried about that. (laughs) Yeah, you're awesome. All right. So you did say that... um, This recent book, Location Shoot, is your favorite. Why is that? I just, okay, well, first I have to tell you when I wrote it, because I'm sure that that plays a role in it. So this was a lockdown project. So, you know, like so many other people during the pandemic, I was bored at home. I was binge-watching movies. 
I was double fisting potato chips, mm-hmm. and I was filled with existential doom and and fear. Um, and so I decided, you know, to turn to creativity, which is what I've been doing my entire life. And I decided to write a novel about a group making a film about the meaning of life and living together in seclusion in seclusion during the three month summer shoot. Um, and because I really wanted to mentally escape to someplace joyful and affectionate, I decided to make it a love story. Mm-hmm. So this this novel, it really held my hand during the lockdown, Pat. I mean, it was like, it gave me a reason to want to get up every day during a time that, you know, in some people's memories, it seems a little far away. But I remember, you know, that, that pandemic, the lockdown like it was yesterday, um, you know, just being at home for months on end and being afraid and being afraid of, you know, your loved ones not making it. Um, and I really wanted to escape to someplace joyful. And I was depressed at the time, like I think a lot of us were. Mm-hmm. And when I started writing this book, Pat, I I would just leap out of bed mm-hmm. every morning at early light to race to my computer. I spent the longest days writing. I wrote seven days a week all day because there was literally nothing else to do. Um, so there were no distractions. So this book was was my entire world. Um, and something about that experience, that very immersive experience and wanting to write something joyful and beautiful just for myself to hold my own hand, mm-hmm. it became this novel that I feel is, is really a beautiful story about life. Um, it's a love story, but I feel like it's, it's more than a love story. And to me, it's, it is this very hopeful, beautiful, affirming sort of sort of story about life. Should I tell you a little, uh, you know, for people who haven't read it, what the book is about? Yes, that was my that was my next go-to question. Thank you. Yes, give us a peek. Okay, so this controversial filmmaker, Jean Mercier, wants to shoot a film on location in Sweden, and he's put together a very unexpected cast, which is something that he's known for doing. And so the book opens with a entertainment news report, and you hear about this unexpected cast. And then the day before each cast member goes to the shoot in Sweden, we get a glimpse of them in their own lives. And it turns out that each actor is at a personal crossroads. So I won't give away what each of their struggles are, but they are each struggling with something in their own life. And then they leave to go live in seclusion in an inn with this filmmaker for three months and make a film about the meaning of life. And they form these very, very deep bonds of friendship over the film they're making, over just the connections they share. Um, And Jean Mercier, the filmmaker, invites one of his dear friends, her name is Ella, and she's a very provocative philosopher. She writes about sort of taboo subjects, very, very beautiful, bohemian, free-spirited. And he invites her to stay with them for the summer in Sweden. And so she does, and she shows up two weeks into the shoot, and one of the film stars, Finn, just falls madly in love with her. Um, And they they have this really, really beautiful and very deep, I think, meaningful um, romance that happens over the summer. But really, it's about all of the friendships and the meaning of the film they're making and how it impacts all of them. And then at the end of the three months, they all leave to go home, and you don't find out until seven months later when they meet again at the premiere on the red carpet at the Cannes Film Festival 
how they each dealt with the crossroads in their own life, um, and how that summer really forever changed them. Oh, my, is this a movie in my mind, huh? (laughs) That's how it was in my mind when I was writing it. It's actually the first thing my husband said when he read it. He goes, wow, that is a movie. (laughs) It is. What I love about your books, um, your books specifically, and I'm thinking about layers, I woke up in the middle of the night, actually, last night thinking about this because your books kind of remind me of perfume. Um, I've been training as an aromatherapist for the last 10 years. And so I think about when I blend essential oils, you know, the way a final scent is layered. Most people just take a sniff and they appreciate it for the good smell, not really taking into consideration that there's a high note of, say, sweet orange, and then you wait for that middle note to show up. And then there's the base note that lingers way past the initial whiff of the orange. Well, your books are like that. There's just many layers. So it may be a summer beach read, but it's a philosophical summer beach read that's got so many social issues and life issues all layered in in between it all. How do you layer when you write? How does that happen? Well, first of all, I have to tell you, I love that analogy, and I don't know how in all this time of talking, I did not know that you were into perfume. I love that. Um, And and that is a great, great analogy. And, you know, it's so interesting because, for me at least, writing always happens differently. And I think it's why I'm still completely in love with the creative process, because it never happens the same way twice. Inspiration comes to me differently. Um, Sometimes I have an idea, a theme or something that I want to tackle. Other times I see a character or a group of characters. Sometimes I just get a last line, and I think it's great, and I have to sort of figure out, well, what's the story? How do I write my way to it? Um, It just always happens differently, and I think that's why I'm still so in love with writing. And so how, how the themes get built also happens differently. Um, and every single time, no matter what I plan, Pat, it's unexpected things happen, things that surprise me. A character says something I didn't expect, and then all of a sudden the theme is, is reinforced in a way that I didn't intend. Um, but with this book, it really was this process of discovery because I really did just decide to write what I thought was going to be a love story. And I knew that all the characters would develop relationships. I mean, I was showing them in their own lives individually, so I knew it would be about more than the love story. But I didn't really know how all of the, the themes would build until I was writing it, and the characters would say things that I hadn't anticipated, and I'd be like, wow, oh, my God, that is like a doorway into another hallway I can go down. That is like a portal into a new place. Um, And that really is how it unfolded for me. And so, I, you know, I revise every chapter as I'm writing it many, many times. But then ultimately, you know, you get your first read of the full manuscript. And once I have a full draft, that's when I can really see, like, oh, wow, these are how the themes were built. These are how the layers happened. Um, And then once I have a clear picture, of course, I can go back through my revisions and make sure I really help those things shine um, and and bring them out. Because sometimes I can see they're there sort of peeking out a little bit, Mm -hmm. but maybe they're not as 
in the foreground as they should be. So the rounds of revisions become an opportunity for that. But often with me, it starts out simple, like with this, I wanted to write a love story. And then it really becomes about about love of life um, and the meaning of life. And um, so, you know, many different kinds of love. Wow. You know, you just said that you complete a chapter before moving on to the next, pretty much. You edit and revise until it's where you want it to be. Is that what you just said? It is. Now, I don't do it in order, though. So I don't write my books in order. I write them as scenes that become chapters. Um, So, for example, in the location shoot, the first scene I wrote was when Ella arrives at the film shoot. That's several chapters into Mm -hmm. the book. Um, but that's where I started. So I write all my books sort of out of order. And in fact, I never know how many chapters there will be. So I have to label my files, things like, you know, cake scene or pie scene or bathtub scene. <laughs> and then, then once I have them all, I, I put them together. Okay, that makes me feel better. Um, when you said that, I thought, oh my gosh, if, if I were to do that, I think I would feel like I knew what the third chapter was going to be. But no, I can't write that yet because I've got to polish the second. But the way you're doing it is by scene and then kind of a puzzle that you put together later on. That's exactly it. And you know, in my mind, I do see the whole thing like a movie sure. before I start. Mm-hmm. But that just gives you like the major plot points. You don't know every little scene, every conversation, every interaction. Those things don't unfold until you're writing, or at least not for me. That's how my process is. So I always start with the scenes that I can see most clearly, and they lead me to other scenes. And then sometimes it's a function of my mood, too. So, for example, you know, if if there's a scene or a chapter that's going to be sad, if it's going to be difficult, um, I don't want to write that on a day where I might be feeling sad or depressed or life is hard, mm-hmm. um, because that is, you know, can become like a rabbit hole. Um, so, uh, you know, if I'm feeling that way, uh, I'll wait and I'll try and write something joyful. So it's funny because I've written some books that are very, very cheerful, and I've had some readers say, gosh, you must have been so happy when you wrote this. And I've written some other books that have been, you know, much darker, and people have said, oh, you must have been depressed when you wrote this. And it's actually usually the opposite. Because, <laughs> so, you know, if I'm in a really happy, good place, then I can go there and I can write something that might be more difficult or sad or, you know, raw. Um, because I know that it won't bring me down. But if I'm not in a good place, then I know I need to write something more uplifting, otherwise I can get pulled down into the abyss. So so there's a reason the books that I wrote during the pandemic are so uplifting. I mean, Hollyland and The Location Shoot were both pandemic projects, and they're both extremely optimistic love stories, um, and they both have messages about really living our best lives. And it's because I wrote them, honestly, when I was depressed and hoping that, you know, we'd all get to live our best lives again. And I saw a picture of one of your um, book events, and it was a table with the two books, Hollyland and Location Shoot. And there was nothing else on the table except a pile of these books. And when I looked at it, I thought, oh, my gosh, I am in a candy store. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. And I have to tell you, I know exactly what you're talking about. That was a book event that I just did recently at NYU, which was 
such a thrill for me, Pat. I mean, I have to tell you, so I have a thing about NYU. Um, I just, for, for what I do, for the kinds of, as a sociologist, the kinds of arts research I do, um, there's just no school that does what NYU does. And I've been very lucky in my career. I mean, my textbooks have been used at universities across the country, around the world. I have textbooks that are used at Harvard. Um, that being said, there is nothing that thrills me more than my books being used at NYU. And it's always been my nonfiction books. So to do an event for my novels there was just, it was such a thrill for me. And they were so kind and gracious and happy to have me. But really, it was just for me, it was mm-hmm. an absolute thrill. And when I walked in and I saw that table <laughs> of my books at NYU, I turned to my husband. I said, make sure you get a picture of that. <laughs> so he did. <laughs> I am so glad he did. It's just so exuberant and joyful and happy. You just want to eat the books. There's just something about those <laughs> covers that are just so uh, delicious. How's that? I have to give my publisher a lot of credit. So Hollyland was my first book with my new fiction publisher. It's been a huge change for me. I moved to a publisher called She Writes Press, and I absolutely love them. And Hollyland and The Location Shoot are my first two novels of, um, we're planning many to come. And so I really wanted, you know, a new cheerful look to mark this sort of change in my fiction and this change with my publisher. And they just hit it out of the park mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you know, they for Hollyland, which was my first novel with them, they sent me at least seven mock-ups, I think, with different sort of concepts and ideas. And we all agreed on what the winner was. Um, and so we've stayed with that sort of aesthetic moving forward for mm-hmm. the location shoot. And I just love the cover so much because... I just want people to feel joy when they read these books. Yes. I mean, if, if they have anything, you know, um, if, if I'm lucky enough that people choose to read the books, if, if I would be so lucky that there was one thing they'd take away from it, it really would be that they feel good. Mm-hmm. It really would just be joy. And so I love that I feel like these covers communicate that. So thank you so much mm-hmm. for your kind words. Well, they're honest words, has that. Coming from academia, you said you wrote textbooks that are used all over the uh, country. I want to read something that was on your website. It said, at the intersection of the arts and sciences lives social fiction, a genre coined and pioneered by you. And you have said that your work was motivated by this question. Is there some more popular way to do research where people outside the academy can actually read it? So often in higher education, research is hidden behind technical jargon and inaccessible prose, thereby stunting its reach. So you have taken quite a leap from writing textbooks into what you're doing now, but then not really. So let's just talk about this because I I was fascinated by that little paragraph. I love that. I love that. And and the opening words you said, I believe, are from the Napkin Poetry That's Review. It, I... No, they're they're amazing. And I was they interviewed me once, and they did a review of my work once. And I mean, they've interviewed Amanda Gorman, the incredible poet. And so I'm very very honored to be included um, among people they've covered. But yes, yeah, so okay, so. Here's the deal, Pat. So I was doing, you know, academic research for many years, and I was writing books and articles and presenting at academic conferences. 
And I was very successful in academia. I mean, I got early tenure. I was, you know, I got many grants. I, I had what people thought was a very enviable career as an academic. But I had this sort of nagging pit in my stomach, like, is any of this worth it? Like, does this make sense? And I, I literally had this moment one day in my beautiful office that had given me a gorgeous office because I was a star academic. And I had this moment looking around thinking, like, does the work I do matter? Will anybody read it? Mm-hmm. So, for example, I was interviewing women about their relationships, their self-esteem, their body image. And I was writing traditional academic journal articles and presenting at academic conferences. And I started to wonder, like, will any real women outside of academia ever read any of this stuff? Like, will they ever benefit from it? Will it be useful to anyone except me having this, you know, supposedly stellar career? And I decided that, you know, no, this stuff isn't that useful. I mean, the the harsh reality is that most academic research is not read at all. Um, You know, over 90% of articles have literally a handful of readers, three to eight readers, three to eight. People spend years doing the research for this, getting it published. And even those pieces that do become well-read, they become well-read within the academy. They don't become well-read by the public. And I just sort of thought there has to be a different way. And so I started doing research. I learned about something called arts-based research, which is basically when researchers in any field, social work, psychology, healthcare, sociology, doesn't matter. They adapt the creative arts in order to make their research accessible for the public. So they might create a story out of their research. They might create a visual art display out of their research. They might create um, works of poetry. They might create a piece of theater that might be shown in community or other theaters. There's all kinds of things that people were doing. And this just resonated with me immediately, and I became absolutely fascinated with it. And I realized that some of the greatest scholars of all time or the most recognized scholars have actually written a ton of fiction. So the famous philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, he wrote many novels, plays, and short stories. He actually won the Nobel Prize for doing that kind of work. Um, He refused to accept it, so that's a, a different story, but he received the Nobel Prize. Simone de Beauvoir, Zora Neale Hurston, um, the list goes on and on. And I sort of felt like, well, gee, maybe I could do some version of that, too. Um, what might that look like? And and so it started slowly with me. I started by writing some poetry. Um, and poetry is an amazing craft and skill and one that, sadly, Pat, I do not possess. So I decided that that wasn't going to be the avenue for me. And ultimately, I turned to fiction. And I wrote my first novel, Low Fat Love, which is absolutely a novel that you can read as a beach read, but it was also grounded um, in things I had learned from doing 10 years of interviews with women about their lives and relationships and body image. So it was very much also based on my research. And so then I just, you know, started straddling that line. Um, And I still do it. I mean, so, for example, the location shoot is absolutely a novel. It came from my imagination. It can be read by anyone as a beach read. But it is also informed by my sociological perspective. I did ask real questions, philosophical questions in the book about the meaning of life. Um, And I I do ground that in, in what I've learned over the years in my research. And, you know, today I'm starting my day doing this podcast with you about my novel, but at the end of the day, 
I'm zooming into a college class to talk about one of my textbooks that's about arts-based research to try and encourage the graduate students to play and experiment with the arts in their work. So I'm still very much straddling these two worlds. Mm-hmm. And that's what I meant by layers. You can see all the layers of you in any and all of your novels. I really appreciate that. I mean, I really do. You know, when I was at NYU, I was encouraging uh, the students in the audience um, that, you know, whatever they might create, so whether it's a work of fiction, a different kind of piece of art, or some creation that's not art, maybe it's a nonfiction prose, whatever they might create, that they should remember they should do it because nobody else in the entire world could do it. And I truly, truly mean that. We all bring ourselves to the things we create. It comes through our filter. So, for example, there are many romance stories out there, um, and there are certainly many that take place on film sets. But nobody could write the location shoot but me, just like nobody could write any of the other ones because it comes through our filter and our all of our experiences and the lenses and tools we have available. And so I really feel like, you know, we, we all layer our books with who we are, how we think about the world, our hopes, our dreams, our fantasies. And it's why I feel like it's so important to support, you know, all authors and all creatives because what each one does is truly unique. Oh, thank you. That is beautiful and that's inspiring. Thank you. I love what you do. I mean, you are supporting authors, and and it's why I'm such a huge fan. Oh, you know what? That's a gift to me. That's 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 very um, selfish of me because I get to meet people like yourself and and have conversations and learn and be inspired. It's just it's a beautiful life doing what I'm doing. So I enjoy it. That is absolutely wonderful. And when you can create a life that you want to live, I was just having this discussion with a friend the other day. There's nothing better than creating a life you want to live and finding ways to do the things that bring you joy. And when they elevate the work that other people are doing too, that's really, really beautiful. I agree. I agree. And all authors elevate the work of others because just through their words and their thoughts and putting it on paper, I just love the whole anonymity of readership in that you have no idea who is reading your books because nine times out of 10, they're not going to reach out to you and how it positively affects and changes their lives. You'll never know that. An incredible thing. Mm -hmm, It is. I love that part of it. I really do. Just the whole anonymous fact of uh, being an author is uh, pretty neat. You travel quite a bit. Do you write while you're visiting new locations or do you go to soak up the place and the space for inspiration or is it kind of a combination of both? It's a combination of both. I I write seven days a week. So it's not like during the lockdown where I wrote all day every day, seven days a week. But I write seven days a week, year-round. The only times in at least 20 years that I've missed a day of writing were when I was hospitalized, Mm -hmm. and I literally mean that. So (laughs) I write every single day. So when I travel, I usually get up earlier than I would like. I'm actually not a morning person, but it's how important writing is to me. And I write in my hotel room in the morning. Um, And sometimes that's 45 minutes, sometimes it's three hours, but I always make time for writing. Sometimes it happens later in the afternoon if there's some lull time between whatever the activity of the day is and dinner. Um, but usually I make, make time for it in the mornings. But I write seven days a week, traveling, weekends, holidays. Um, I never miss a day. And really, 
it's not any kind of ambition or anything like that. It's just because it's what I love. It feeds my soul. Um, I mean, there are some people that if they don't take a walk in the morning, they don't have a good day. Or if they don't exercise, they don't have a good day. For me, it's writing. So it's something that brings me joy. And so I do do it every day. But I also find that I get the most incredible ideas when I travel and I'm in different places. I think traveling is very broadening. I think if you meet different people, see different landscapes, if you're traveling abroad, if you learn about different cultures, there's just no way that doesn't impact your imagination and your creative process. And also just, just having new energy around you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even when I'm not traveling, I have a wonderful little cafe that's less than a mile from my house. And I'm a regular. I know everyone who works there. They actually sell my books there, which is a thrill to me because I write so many of my books there. Um, But you'll find me sitting in my usual corner table at least a few times a week. And it's really just because, you know, the the shift in energy I find very inspiring. Oh, very, very interesting. Yeah, I was wondering how you balanced that. Um, Because obviously when you go to a new place, there's so many things to see and do and eat. You don't want to miss out on all of that. So um, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Oh my gosh, Patricia, we can just go on and on. I have so many more things, but we're going to begin to wrap up until the next time. I want to make sure we're not missing anything though, that you wanted to highlight about your book today. No, not at all. I just, you know, I, I hope that anyone who is looking for like a cozy, inspirational love story Um, checks out the location to see if it's something that you might be interested in. I had tremendous, tremendous joy writing this book, and I I really feel like the joy lives in the pages, and I I hope it bounces on to readers when they read it. Absolutely, because you've gotten some tremendous feedback from it, as you do all of your work. People have been very, very generous with this book, um, and I really appreciate that. I mean, I'm grateful for anyone to read it and have whatever relationship with it they choose to have. But, but people have been really generous, and I appreciate it so much because truly, I just, I really, really love this book, and I'm really proud of it. <laughs> well, I am proud that you shared it with us and that we are able to have this conversation about your book and you and what makes you tick. I think that's just uh, what I kind of wanted to dig a little deeper today. So thank you for indulging me with some of the side questions that perhaps we took. I appreciate that. So if you would share any all contact information so folks can find you in your work. The best place to go is patricialevy.com. Levy is L-E-A-V-Y. So if you just go to patricialevy.com, you'll have links to all my social media, links to my books. Um, And I'm very active on social media. So, um, you know, I post about my own work, but I also post inspirational quotes and opportunities for other authors and that sort of thing. So please do check that out. Right. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you've got lots to do in your life. Thank you for taking the time to spend with me and with us and for sharing your books with the Firebird Book Awards. It means a lot to me to know you and to share you. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Pat. I always love, love, love talking with you. And this was no exception. So thank you for all your support. 